The first of my posts was called Things That Did Not Really Matter. Every year, when it's time to discuss Chapter 3 with my junior high students, I walk into class and write the following on the board. Hat, stump, biscuits, horses, pie. Then, I sit down at my desk and look at the students. It is usually only a moment before hands begin shooting in the air. Bob says of the events of Chapter 3, quote, I could not straighten out in my mind the way the grown folks had behaved, the way things that did not really matter so much had become so important to them, unquote. Behind each of these simple, everyday things I had written on the board is something important. When Marion prances out to show off her fashionable new hat and is affectionately rebuffed with the comment, Can't you see we're busy? We are reminded that what these men are doing is no ordinary commonplace chore. Shane and Joe work with a steady, silent solemnness that suggests this is about much more than just that stump. Marion is momentarily hurt, but she gets over it. First, she knows, and we know, that Joe means it when he calls her the best thing that ever happened to him on God's green earth. And second, she is capable of looking beyond the surface of this moment to its spiritual significance. She confesses warmly to Bob, quote, Don't you dare tell them I said so, but there's something splendid in the battle they're giving that old monster, unquote. And what is the significance of that stump? There's a point in this chapter when Bob sees Shane and Joe look at each other in a way that says things words can't cover. I feel like words can't cover everything that, as these men engage in their solemn work, they say to each other and to the stump. They communicate friendship and respect and infinite trust. They express pride and persistence and dauntless determination. It is, among other things, a moment of deep bonding between friends, of relentless commitment to seeing something through, and of intense pleasure and pride that comes of a job well done. I love that all this is communicated without a word. Marion atones for her anger by bringing out a plate of hot biscuits. And when Joe divides the biscuits evenly between them, even chopping the last one precisely in two, he says to Shane wordlessly, You are not a hired man. You are my friend and equal. I love how Jack Schaefer shows these very masculine men capable of a tender affection. It's all there in the image of a burly man swinging an axe to divide a biscuit. Joe is aghast when Marion suggests that they have some sense and hitch up the horses to do the final work of removing the stump. She's making the mistake again of looking upon the chore too literally, with the removal of the stump as its primary goal. Joe wants that stump gone, but his goal here is the pride of accomplishment and the bond of friendship that will come of two men seeing this through, by themselves, to the end. She comes to understand, when Shane calls her pie the best bit of stump he has ever tasted. After she burned the first one, she started in on a new one, worked furiously till it was finished, and refused all help. All the determination, self-sufficiency, stubbornness, and pride that the men had put into that stump 
she had put into the pie. Sometimes things that don't matter really, really do. The next of my posts was called Favorites. Jack Schaefer is a poet. John Keats is described as having relished the muscular music of Homer. I think muscular music is a fitting description here. These chapters contain so many of my favorite lines, most of which concerned either Bob's hero worship or Shane and Joe's friendship. I love the description of Joe, seen through Bob's eyes, after he finished his biscuits and prepares to set back to work. I'd like to think every child had such a moment burned into the memory of their father. Quote, He straightened and stretched his arms high and wide. He seemed to stretch and stretch until he was a tremendous tower of strength reaching up into the late afternoon sun. Unquote. I loved, too, his recollection of Shane as he pulsed in a surge of power and toppled the stump for good. Quote, I wanted to shout a warning, but I could not speak, for Shane had thrown his head in a quick sideways gesture to fling his hair from falling over his face, and I had caught a glimpse of his eyes. They were aflame with a concentrated cold fire. Unquote and I loved the descriptions of the effect each man's presence had on the other, of the bond of friendship forged between them, one that came from the very core of their beings. Quote, something in Father, something not of words or of actions, but of the essential substance of the human spirit, had reached out and spoken to him. And he had replied to it, and had unlocked a part of himself to us. Unquote. And quote, I had been thinking, too, of the effect he had on father and mother. They were more alive, more vibrant, like they wanted to show more what they were when they were with him. Unquote. These last poetic lines remind me of a poem, a simple one for children, that I've called to mind on countless occasions because it captures such a simple but important truth. It's a poem called Some People by Rachel Field. And it's about how, for reasons often intangible, some people make us feel weary and withdrawn, and others make us feel more alive, more vibrant, and more ourselves than ever before. This is that poem. Isn't it strange some people make you feel so tired inside, your thoughts begin to shrivel up like leaves all brown and dried, but when you're with some other ones, it's stranger still to find, your thoughts as thick as fireflies, all shiny in your mind. The last of my posts was called A Man Apart. Shane has settled in as a farmer, settled in almost as a member of the family, but Bob can see that something about Shane remains unsettled. Despite the instant kinship of their spirits, their profound mutual respect, and their unguarded intimacy, there's a part of Shane that remains closed off and distant. Quote, he was far off and unapproachable at times, even when he was right there with you. It puzzled me that a man so deep and vital in his own being, so ready to respond to Father, should be riding a lone trail out of a closed and guarded past. Unquote. 
we are left to wonder why. Where has he come from? What explains that fixed and habitual alertness? Why doesn't he wear that impressive gun? Why is his gaze so often turned to those mountains in the distance? When Joe asks, Are you running away from anything? And Shane answers, No, not in the way you mean. I take him to be asking whether he is running from something that is coming after him, whether an enemy or the law. And the fact that he isn't leads Joe to conclude there's no reason he can't stay on with them, that there's nothing to keep him from settling. Shane agrees to stay on for two reasons. First, he clearly wants to. On this farm, he seems to feel at home, and he enjoys it. Second, in the conflict with Fletcher, Joe needs him. He isn't a man to leave Joe in a spot, like Morley did. But something within him remains unsettled. Quote, there were times when he would stop and look off at the mountains, and then down at himself and any tool he happened to have in his hands, as if in wry amusement at what he was doing. You had no impression that he thought himself too good for the work, or did not like it. He was just different. He was shaped in some firm forging of past circumstance for other things. Unquote. He was forged as a man of strength, quickness of movement, instinctive coordination of mind and muscle, fierce energy, and singular dedication, all of which combine into the character of a man wonderful and disturbing. Are those mountains he gazes upon his past? Are they his destiny? Whichever it is, what form does it take? Those are questions we will have to try to answer as we go on. I'm going to end this commentary with a question for you that I'm not entirely sure I have the answer to. At the end of the chapter, Joe warns Bob not to go liking Shane too much. He says that he's fiddle-footed, and he'll be moving on. But Bob says he knows that wasn't what his father meant. So, what did he mean? Email your thoughts or share them in the Facebook group. I'm really curious to hear what you have to say and to compare it against thoughts of my own.